Hey, everybody. Are you with me when I say life can be amazing at times, but it can also be extremely challenging? I know. I've been there myself. Learned some valuable life lessons along the way, and now I'm here to help you. It's no coincidence you found your way to the Relevate podcast. I'm your host, Rena Olson, a self-proclaimed inspirer of others. Together, we're going to dive deep into raw and honest conversations with real people. My hope is that through these stories, you too will be inspired and ready to tackle whatever's holding you back or breaking your heart. Then you'll be free to live a life of purpose and true fulfillment. I promise it's possible. Let's Relevate. Hey friends, welcome to the Relevate Podcast. Boy, do I have a special guest in store for you. In this episode, we are going to talk about addiction, recovery, and Victoria's journey. To see this stunning young woman now, brimming with wisdom and maturity while still in her 20s, you would never suspect that addiction was part of her story. So let's get right in there and learn more. Victoria Ray, welcome to the Relevate Podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm so glad that I've got a chance to know you and that we have this chance to to sit down and, and learn more about your story. It's really so powerful. Thank you. So before we can get to the good stuff and the amazing work you are now doing in the recovery community and the prevention community, let's talk about your addiction. Please start in the beginning. Sure. Well, I feel like to really understand my addiction, I can't really start when I started using because it goes back so Mm -hmm. much further than that. It's so much deeper, but I can kind of try my best to sum it up. That'd be great. So as a, a young girl, I was very normal, you know, like very happy. I had a lot of energy I really liked to play soccer and to pretend I was a Pokemon trainer and just like all kinds, you know, just a normal kid. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I was also a victim of abuse when I was younger. And so what that taught me growing up is that is how to wear a mask really and how to appear like everything was okay and kind of give you whatever you wanted to see when really inside I, I wasn't, Mm -hmm. um, And so, but, you know, overall, I was really happy, um, despite some of the stuff that was going on under the surface. When I was in second grade, I was diagnosed with ADHD, just because I think I had a lot of energy, and I was put on ADHD medications very early, and to be completely transparent, they helped me in school. They totally Mm -hmm. calmed me down and allowed me to focus. But I learned then that I could take something outside of myself or that there was something wrong with me mm-hmm. and that that would fix the problem. And I really think that that stuck with me as I grew up. And so growing up, I went to private Catholic school and I was always a little bit, you know, a little bit dorky, just a little bit, didn't fit in very oh, well. I find that hard to believe. Oh gosh, um, I could tell you. Um, I loved, I liked video games and anime and at private school, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I wasn't the cookie cutter, uh, private Catholic school girl. So I always felt different. Mm -hmm. And I I think also too, I had grown up wearing a mask. So I always kind of felt like if you really knew me, you wouldn't really like me. If you knew what had happened Mm -hmm. 
you would know that there's something really wrong with me. And I kind of grew up thinking like, there's something wrong and I have to either cover it up or find some way to fix that. And um, so, you know, it didn't really start with drugs, right? Mm -hmm. Um, When I was 16, I was being bullied at school pretty severely. And I started to... My girls. My girls, yeah. Because the boys and the girls were separated at my school. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of this breeding ground of if you're different, then we can make everybody exclude you. And I remember the day that they found my Pokemon game in my purse. Like I can still feel it right now in, in my body and just being mortified and being excluded. And so I would start to have um, anxiety attacks when I would walk in the school doors, which makes sense. (laughs) You know, of course you don't want to walk into that. So I was prescribed some medication for that and I didn't really start abusing it right away. But again, that idea Mm -hmm. that I could take something outside of myself to change the way that I felt uh, was started to be more and more ingrained. And I started to overeat or isolate and, you know, use gaming or people or just other things Mm -hmm. to kind of numb what was going on. Did you have other friends that were like you, girlfriends or I had one, I had one friend. My best friend, Claire, and she's amazing. She, she kind of stuck with me through the whole thing. And she was probably one of the only person, one of the only people to really brave visiting me during that time when I was struggling mm-hmm. with anxiety and depression and overeating yeah. and you know maybe taking too many anxiety pills and stuff like that. You know, she was always there. She was always, and she still is. I'm about to be in her wedding. In, <laughs> yeah. In November. I love that. Yeah, she's incredible. I I get to see her mm-hmm. a lot. So I had I had Claire, and mm-hmm. she actually um, she actually gave me the best advice that I've ever gotten probably in my whole life. When I was you know in that muck in that mm-hmm. mire in high school, I remember one day she came to me and she told me, "Do something about it." And I remember for me that was mind blowing. <laughs> I was like, wait. Maybe I can do something. About Were you this. feeling like a victim before that? Yeah, totally. And so I felt, you know, like everything was out of my control. So I started moving, you know, like I started walking and trying to find recovery and I got treatment for my eating disorder. And um, that was really helpful. And I, you know, I started to do music again and do country mm-hmm. singing and mm-hmm. um, started to live again. But then when I went to college, I kind of decided that everything was going to be different, right? I was going to be right. beautiful and have friends and be popular. You know, I, I knew how to wear a mask, so I was going to decorate it really nicely and put it on and show it off. So did your parents know what was going on this whole time? So my parents knew what was going on in high school a little, like for the most part, right? Um, but I will say at the time, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer kind of in the midst of all of this mm-hmm. stuff. So you can imagine that. She had yeah. a lot of other stuff right. and other kids. And then yeah. she also, uh, when I was 16, had my little brother. Uh, my little brother, Luke, was born. And so she was, you know, pregnant oh and, you know, there's a newborn. And so there's so a you're lot the of oldest? other. Yes. A lot of other stuff going on. Mom was okay now? It, yes. Mom has been in remission for, I think, oh gosh, I might say that wrong, but I think like 10 years. Mm. You know, so yeah, huge grace. And honestly, when my brother was born, that helped me tremendously too, because I would have to kind of get out of myself and go and 
be mm-hmm. with him and love on him. And I found a lot of fulfillment, fulfillment in that. Yeah. So you went to college. And I did, yeah. Thinking you had, okay, here's my fresh start. And what happened? Well, um, it worked at first. You know, I got into sorority and... Um, and you, you went know, out of state, didn't you? I went to Kennesaw first. Mm-hmm. So I was in state. And, and that was great. I started doing, I was doing my music more. I started working at a recording studio. Nice. Yeah, it was... Like everything on paper looked really great. You know, I, I had lost the weight that I had gained in high school and I was cute and, you know, people treated me differently. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is working. But pretty soon it gets really exhausting. And working in the music industry, I was mm. exposed to all kinds of stuff, including a lot of different drugs. So I started experimenting and I shouldn't say experimenting because honestly, the first time I did anything, it was like every single day. After that, mm-hmm. and I kind of got drugged into this world that, you know, the little private Catholic schoolgirl never thought she would end up in, mm-hmm. you know, um, and kind of from there, from then on, about eighteen, it was just a roller coaster of addiction. I, when I was nineteen, I decided I wanted to live a different kind of life because I had had happy experiences as a child. Like I knew what a good life looked like. So I went to rehab for the very first time and kind of had some ups and downs and experiences, but that's kind of the addiction story, like how that happened. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it it started with other stuff. And then when I found substances, it just drugged me into the mud and mire and um, into places I never thought I would go. And I think I hear a lot of these stories and that seems to be what happens. There Mm -hmm. was always trauma or brokenness or something not right at some, at some point. And you attempt to numb or to feel better or, yeah, you know, because it works at first. Yeah, it really does. At first it helped and it was fun until I became incredibly addicted and it, took over the rest of my life and it wasn't fun anymore and I couldn't stop. So I'm glad you talked about you had ADHD as a child Mm -hmm. and the medication. And it seems like I hear these stories a lot that for some people, there is a connection between that type of behavior, medication and eventual addiction. Do you, do you understand that to be the case as well for a lot of people? Well, I think that whole topic is incredibly controversial because some people will say, no way, um, there's no connection. And for me, I, I think it, what it taught me and what I think it teaches some people is that you can take this and this will, there's something wrong with you and you can take something to fix you. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to take the responsibility of changing your own behavior or learn different skills to be able to, to help you cope or in my case, sit still, or if that was even the right schooling for me, right? There was no other option at that time. So I think that it just kind of planted that seed in my mind and it grew from there. So I've heard you say people don't do drugs because they are bad people. They do drugs because they buy the, the lies. It's just one time. This one is going to help you make better grades. This one is going to help you have fun and fit in. This one will help you relax. 
This one will help relieve your social anxiety. Let's talk more about those lies and why at that time in your life you fell prey to them. Yeah, I I hear that a lot. You know, I think there's this idea that the kids who do drugs are bad kids. Mm -hmm. And I really hate that because they're not, you know. You really do have good intentions. You want to fit in. You want to make better grades. You want to numb pain, all of these things. And you see a really easy solution. Mm -hmm. So at that time in my life, especially when I was in college, trying to find recovery and trying to, you know, after I started my journey, if when I used other things, like I would use people or other behaviors, even if I wasn't using drugs, Mm -hmm. all of those things were lying to me as well. So I think they really go hand in hand. You know, some people use people. That doesn't mean that they're Mm -hmm. bad Mm -hmm. or worse than the kids who use drugs. We're all just looking for the same thing. Right. And you find community with wherever that commonality lies as well. Mm -hmm. And in the music industry, there's definitely a lot of commonality uh, when you were using and a lot of feeling like you were different or isolated when you weren't. And I had grown up with those experiences and I had chosen, like, I didn't want to have that Mm -hmm. happen anymore. So that was easy to believe and to buy. Sure. Well, and I'm so glad you said that people don't do drugs because they are bad people. My experience working in the addiction and recovery field is people who are coming out of addiction and recovery are some of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life. That was (laughs) the big surprise for me. Um, Addiction touched my life. My dad was an alcoholic, but wasn't really around it much until I worked for a men's addiction recovery center. And I was just surrounded with the most talented, creative, smart people I've ever been around in my life. And it, it helped me understand. And I think that's so much of us helping to address the stigma that still, still exists that, you know, that it can happen to anyone and it happens to the best of people. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I've also found that some of the most sensitive mm-hmm. people I've ever met yes. succumb to this and some of like the most beautiful hearts. Yes. So I, I definitely, I definitely why, why that. is that you think? Well, I think, and I read this somewhere that people who abuse drugs are searching for the spiritual and oh. um, when we experiment with different things, you know, we are, we're seeking that, you know, like a depth or an escape or something bigger than us. And we don't realize what we're really looking for is that spiritual peace. That's good. Yeah. That's I, really, I didn't make it up. Somebody else wrote it. I know, but it's <laughs> really good. I've also heard you say the transition to smoking, doing pills and shooting up was frighten, frighteningly easy. The transition to smoking, doing pills, and shooting up was frightening. What's the word? Frighteningly? Frighteningly. Frighteningly. (laughs) Easy. (laughs) Okay. Not easy for me to say, but if you could explain. Easy to do, not easy to say. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think once I got sucked into that cycle and I started meeting other people that were doing different things, it was really easy to convince myself that what I, the next thing, the harder thing, the, Mm -hmm. that one next step, it didn't happen. You know, all of a sudden I wasn't like, you know what? I'm going to be a homeless drug addict. Like that's the goal. Addiction slithered its way into my life. It really did. It was sneaky and it happened gradually. Um, but it happened 
And it happened in kind of like in these stages of just like one little baby step further at a time until I looked around me and I was like, what is this? This is not my life anymore. This isn't who I am. This isn't the way I grew up. And, but yeah, it happened quickly and easily. Mm. Kind of like before, I kind of remember sort of waking up and feeling like, oh my God, like how did this happen to someone like me? So when you felt like that, were you able to get help or did it take a while? No, um, I, well, I, f- I think I felt like that at a bu- couple different points mm-hmm. in my walk. I felt that way when I was um, about to turn 19, the first time I went to treatment, because I had had that experience of, you know, what life could look like, what a real fulfilled life could be. And I knew I was like that that was possible for me. So, so I, in rehab, you got a glimpse of that? Yeah. Um, well, I can tell you a really cool story about the first time I went to rehab. Oh, please do. Okay. And I tell this story sometimes because I feel like sometimes when I say it, I, people think that I'm crazy, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> bring it, sister. Bring it on. So when I was at rehab for the very first time, I had a really strong spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I had just turned 19. I had, you know, dropped out of college, you know, lived in my car, mm-hmm. had a dog that, you know, I felt like a dog would fix me. I'd have done that like three times in my life. So I had a dog. <laughs> uh, I just was, but I was incredibly broken. And um, I was crying by my bed. And I kept saying like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I was praying. I kept saying, I'm so sorry. And, um, I, Oh, it still sounds kind of funny, but I'll tell you, I heard this voice and it told me to get up. And of course, you know, I'm like detoxing. So I think I'm insane. So I don't. Mm -hmm. And I heard it again and it's like, get up. So I got up and I went to the mirror and I was like, okay, this is it. Like, I'm seriously like now I'm hearing voices. Mm -hmm. Like I'm crazy. And the voice, the voice spoke again and it said, do you know what your name means? And then said again, do you know what your name means? And my name is Victoria and my name means victory. And then I heard, I named you that for a reason. And so (laughs) you can, (laughs) oh my gosh, uh, you can imagine that that was really strong. And I actually have this tattoo on my wrist that says victory with the cross. Um, That it was really strong. Right. And I wish I could say that after Mm -hmm. that point, I never used again. And that, but that's not true. You know, I, I went up, you know, I stumbled and fell, but I kept getting back up because I would have these moments of Mm -hmm. being in desperation, um, kind of reaching there again and remembering what he said to me. And this last time, um, almost three years ago, I had woken up on my bedroom floor and um, that same weekend, a bunch of people had overdosed downtown. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know why I woke up. Overdosed and died? Overdosed and died because it was on the Gosh. news. I remember it was on the news that there were like 11 overdoses in 12 hours or something. Mm-hmm. And um, But I had woken up that weekend mm-hmm. And, um, I remember like looking up at my ceiling and 
like reaching that that low place and remembering what he said and being like, okay, I've got to do this. So, yeah, I don't even remember what question you were asking me or anything, but... Um, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> <laughs> Name is Victory. Oh, man, that is, that is deep. Yeah. That is beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I've also heard you say we're all in recovery from something. What, what exactly does that mean? Well, I've, I found that to be true um, in my work and just with the people that I meet and that I love. You know, my recovery is from a lot of things, substances. Mm-hmm. I think I've, you know, I would call myself in recovery from unhealthy relationships and perfectionism and mm-hmm. with eating disorder. I don't think, I think that recovery doesn't, isn't exclusive to substances. Right. We all have to go through that healing process. We're all looking to fill that hole mm-hmm. inside of us. So we've all got a list of stuff. It's just different. Yeah. 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 I totally, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to know where your parents were in all of this. And you mentioned your mom had breast cancer and then, and then a baby. Was there anything different they could have done? So I thought about this for a little bit and I actually get asked this a lot. And honestly, I think that, I mean, I had incredible parents growing up and I think that my experience with them and just like having their love and their support the whole time and having them never give up on me when I was in those dark places, uh, reminded me what life could look like. So addiction can happen to anybody. It could happen to the best kids could happen to it does. smart kids, well-meaning kids with great intentions. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if there's so much that they could have done differently. I'm just grateful for a lot of the stuff that they did. Mm-hmm. Did and they ever have to back away and say, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That I'm really has grateful. got to be so hard as a parent to have to do that. Oh, but, it, but for most people struggling with addiction, it takes, it takes breaking those ties. Yeah. For that person eventually to get help. Well, you can imagine too, we had younger kids living in my house. Like Mm -hmm. I couldn't be around Mm -hmm. um, because I have three younger siblings. One is very close in age to me, but I have two siblings that are much younger than me. And, you know, you can't be, you can't be around that. You know, you don't want to lose your, your other younger Mm -hmm. children. And I think that them drawing those hard lines with me is what saved my life in the long run because it was either that or homelessness or, and yeah, and I wasn't really willing, I wasn't willing to do that for long. I tried to do it for a little bit and mm-hmm. just didn't, didn't work out very well. Yeah. And the story in the Bible of the prodigal son or daughter right. as is your case. I mean, your parents never stopped loving you. No. And they were, th- they were there for you. And mm-hmm. I'm sure no one rejoices more. <laughs> When they yeah. hear your hear you tell your story, because I'm sure in their wildest dreams, they would have never painted that picture where you've landed now. Right. And, you know, for them, too, I've watched them go through their own healing mm-hmm. and ha- they have their own recovery. My mom sure. says that she's in recovery from my recovery. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's true. You know, she's had to do her own walk of healing and she had to grieve, you know, when I was gone mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, we're all looking to fill up that hole inside yeah. of us. So they had their own ways of, of doing that sure. too. And for parents, it's a lot of guilt. What did, what did I do? What could I have done? Right. Exactly. So. so you have to, you have to heal from that as well. And so I've watched 
my whole family changed. And honestly, I think my recovery now is one of the biggest bonding factors in our whole family because we've walked through so much mm-hmm. and we've seen so much, right. but we've also experienced like 10 times the amount of joy mm-hmm. in the little things. We're able to appreciate, okay, we're all here together tonight and we're all alive and we are all sober and mm-hmm. it's, I mean, it's amazing. And when you, when you dive that deep to, to really save your life, um, so much of, so much is exposed to the light yeah. and has a chance to heal. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Definitely. I like the example. It's kind of a gross example, but I really like it of a giant cut in your leg. And if you never, you know, address it or you just stick something on top of it, it festers and it gets uh, infected. I know it's a terrible mm-hmm. mental image, but it's really, really accurate. Yeah. But when you can take that off and you can you know, put some ointment on it and sew it up and let it breathe and um, then it can start to, to really heal. And I think that's what happened with us, definitely. And it's awesome. Let's talk a little bit about the stigma that still exists today about addiction. Why is that so? And what can we, what can we do about that? So there's so much stigma when it comes to addiction. One thing I think we've already talked about is that the kids who use are bad kids. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. Treating people who are struggling with substance use with compassion and with an understanding mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. these are good kids with good intentions. Also, seeing the person first. I'm a yeah. person before I'm a person with an addiction. Sure. And also that it can happen to anybody, you know, mm-hmm. um, just because I grew up in a affluent community and, you know, went to the best schools and doesn't make me any different or less susceptible to some of the other people that I've met. And that's okay because recovery I think also, too, with recovery, some people look at it for a young age like it's a death sentence. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have to be in recovery and be sober when you're young, oh, my gosh, your life is over. And that is so untrue. It's the most untrue thing I've ever heard. I have so much fun, like all the time. (laughs) It's it's almost unfair. I was actually (laughs) (laughs) it's really true. It's so fun. Um. And I'm, I'm more free because I don't have to mm-hmm. use anything or feel like I need to use anything or I can be myself and dance weird and I don't have to have alcohol. And it was really funny. The other night, my sister went to a concert and my mom went to her friend's 50th birthday party and I went and played Dungeons and Dragons with like 100 sober kids. And I had 10 times the amount of fun <laughs> than either of them. And I was like, don't you wish you could be part of this club? <laughs> Like, yeah. Um, so that just removing awesome. the stigma that like mm-hmm. recovery is boring or the last resort. Um, I know a lot of people that consider themselves in recovery mm-hmm. who didn't travel to the, the depths that I did. Yeah. And that's awesome because yeah. why, <laughs> if you don't have to go there, then that's great. You can come and live this kind of lifestyle um, before things get terrible. Yeah. Well, it's, it's another lie, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't be in recovery because then it's everything's so going to be morning. You're going to be missing out. It's so untrue. Yeah. It's really, really untrue. I have, I have a lot of fun. <laughs> well, and I love that we're sitting here today at the connection. Right. So explain to, to me why, why is this place called the connection? Well, and uh, what it is. 
Well, the connection is an RCO, which is a recovery community organization. And it's pretty much a safe haven for people in recovery and family members of people in recovery. And um, we have meetings here. We have fun events here. It's just a community of people. And the premise of that is that the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. It's connection. Yes. So, and I love that Mm -hmm. because it's person first Mm -hmm. And that's been the whole crux of my recovery is learning mm. how to love people yeah. and finding the fulfillment in that. Right. And finding your people when you're coming out of addiction into recovery, mm-hmm. people who are committed to sober life. And mm-hmm. I mean, it really takes a, a pretty much an overall of, of your life mm-hmm. when you're coming out. Unless you have people like Claire in your life yeah. who's... The constant in your family. I mean, that's that's such a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's a that's a huge gift, and I know that everybody doesn't have that. Mm-hmm. I wish everyone did because that's been my saving grace. Mm-hmm. I adore my family. That's so good. Well, so you are just jamming in the prevention and recovery field. Tell us a little bit about what you're working on. So, well, I am currently working for the Forsyth County Drug Awareness Council, and that is, yes, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) I just said that so proper. So proper. Well, that's, and that's, we do substance use prevention, and we do a bunch of different stuff, a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like I have my, my hand in a little bit of everything around the community, which is really, really cool. Mm -hmm. I get to work with a lot of young people. And this is where you grew up, grew up too. Yeah. So it's such full circle. mm -hmm. Very cool. Very much so. And I also get to, with them, I, we have a young speakers, young people speakers bureau. So Mm -hmm. we have a bunch of, a team of young people who go around and speak in the community and it's, it's a lot of fun. And, but I also do a lot of stuff with recovery. I do the Recover Girl podcast, which is really fun. So fun. And I, and it's really good. Oh, well, thank you. You're doing a great job. Thanks. Um, it's really It's been really fun to do that. I'm on the peer advisory board with The Connection, so I'm here a lot too. I hang out with youth from the Insight program, mm-hmm. um, which is a program for young adults in recovery. And they do some awesome stuff. Um, so I, I kind of do a lot it's, of everything. You're living know. it a lot. Yeah, it's my whole world. And I've kind of set myself up that way. Mm-hmm. So where my, my whole life kind of revolves around mm-hmm. my recovery. And, and giving back. Yes. In a major kind of way. Yeah, giving back. I think, but yeah, loving other people has been the, the, the so, my solution to my addiction. Mm. I'd love to know more about the Catholic community that you ended up in. Yeah. That was uh, a big part of your recovery story. Yeah. Um, so about three years ago, I entered a community down in Florida, kind of a last resort kind of thing. I had tried a bunch of different rehabs, and this one was free, and this one was incredibly extreme comparative to the like the very cushy, let's go take a walk on the beach and ride horses kind of rehab, because I'd done that and it didn't work. Yeah. So I entered a community. Women only? Uh, well, there's three houses in America, and there's a ton overseas. Mm-hmm. And so the men and women are separated in different houses. Here mm-hmm. in America, there are three men's houses and one women's house. And then in Europe, there are a bunch of different mm-hmm. houses. But yes, for the time that I was there, we're separated. Wow. Specifically for addiction treatment. 
Sort of. Um, you don't have to be addicted mm-hmm. into, you don't have to be, um, you know, addicted to substances to go there. Other people went there just for other things. Um, but that's the foundation of the community was yeah. it was a place like a, one of those havens for people struggling with addiction and a place to find healing and learn. It's called the school of life. You learn how to live again. How did school? Yeah. Um, did you go willingly? Kind of. Um, I say kind of because I had that moment of clarity, right? Mm-hmm. On my bedroom floor, looking up and being like, okay. But then when withdrawal happened, you know, I was like, no, not doing it. It's crazy. It's too hard. There's no way I can do it. Um, <laughs> but by that point, you know, parents had already taken action. I had, I was in the community within five days, I think, of that happening. So there was no backing out then. Yeah. Can you just help us understand a little bit about sure. what what that was like and what happened? Definitely. Uh, I'll do my best, too, because um, I feel like whenever I describe it, it sounds so strange, but it really was. Um, it was definitely the hardest thing that I've ever done mm-hmm. by far, but it changed my life. Um, so it's a community of young girls, you know, we were ages probably between 18 and 30. Mm-hmm. And we lived in a house on a bit of land. We had a garden and a workshop. And there you have the same schedule every day. You wake up, you pray, you you work, you pray, you eat, you work, mm-hmm. you pray, you eat, you, yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. same thing every day. Um, and you're totally removed from the rest of the world. Um, no phones, no internet, all that. Phones. Okay. I had, um, I lived out of a Tupperware box and I had three shirts and three skirts and nothing. I mean, no makeup, no, no makeup, wow. nothing, no, no phone, no boys, everything, pretty much everything that I had held on to mm-hmm. as part of my identity, like my success, my grades, the boys I could have date me, my beauty, mm-hmm. all those things were gone. Mm-hmm. I had nothing. So it's just you, every single mask that I would want to wear all the drugs too is Mm-hmm. isn't there anymore so how do you live being yourself mm-hmm. and um yeah when I was there it taught me all kinds of important things it taught me how to be uncomfortable because it was really uncomfortable and working hard every day yeah. but that I could make it through that mm-hmm. you know that I could that I was going to be okay and could make it out on the other side and that's incredibly freeing when you kind of feel like mm-hmm. bring it on I can yeah. I can take it mm-hmm. I can make it through I, when I was working hard, I found a lot of purpose in that and a lot of mm-hmm. fulfillment and mm-hmm. seeing things come to fruition. I had a group of women who loved me mm-hmm. back to life when I was in dire Those states. Those bonds are oh so something tight. else. So tight. Uh, but the most important lesson that I learned there um, was that I was somebody who's capable of love mm. and that... I could sacrifice for somebody else and that I could put your needs before my needs. And it was I like I was tired at the end of the day, you know, but it was a different kind of tired. It was the kind of tired that was like I gave everything mm-hmm. and I felt so full. And it was like, oh, my gosh, like this is what I was looking for. Like the whole time mm-hmm. I've been trying to fill this up this hole up inside of me with um, all of these things up from outside. External. Yeah, but really what filled me up was when I knew I was loved and when I was able to love other people. 
And that's, I mean, that's like the secret. Yeah. And, <laughs> and learning to love yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure that was part of, part of your healing. Yeah. As well. Well, I think when you take off the masks and you're, it's just you and God mm-hmm. and you spend so many hours in prayer and you're just yourself and you know, you have a deep knowing that you're loved. Yeah. It's transformative. So how, how long were you there and how did it feel when you, when you left and were ready to emerge back into real world? Well, I was there for 15 months and, um, when I left, it was, it was, I mean, it was difficult, right? I had been on this plot of land with these women who loved me and I knew always had my best interests at heart. Completely safe zone. Yeah. And then I walked into Target and was like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. I'm <laughs> never going back here in my life. <laughs> There's so much stuff. So um, it was challenging for a lot of reasons, <laughs> but I don't know. I think probably it's hard to explain. So when I was in the community, I didn't have the grace to live out in the world because I wasn't there yet, Mm -hmm. you know, but when I emerged and when I started, you know, I was uncomfortable, but knew I could make it through that. I still, I searched really, really hard to find a community out here. Baby steps. Mm -hmm. It's always about the baby steps. Yeah. And just making it through. And, and I found my people here too. Mm -hmm. I had had one there and I knew I needed one here. So that's why. I think I'm involved in so many things because I, ha- I found my people here and I yeah. worked for that. And so like, I got the grace when I exited to, to, to be able to, you know, carry forth that life. Yeah. yeah. And thrive. That's amazing. So what would you say to somebody still struggling with addiction? Well, I would say I, that there is a hand that's always there. That's always reaching out mm-hmm. and that, this is not a death sentence. Mm-hmm. It's the exact opposite. So my question would be for them would be, why, why wait? Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much life to be had. Yeah. You can wait or you could have it all right now. Um, so good. And I see someone young like you coming out of their addiction and it's like, wow, you've got your whole life ahead of you. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, I've seen some people on the, the opposite end, 60 years old, and by the grace of God, they're still alive, but still struggling. Right. So amazing that you had the, the fortitude and the grit and the, the heart to say, I, I, gotta, I, gotta get, I gotta get this taken care of. Yeah. And I know it's an everyday thing. It's something that you're never done with, right? Yeah. I think, and I, and that's the same for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you have something that you struggle with and you depended on for mm-hmm. so long, like I think to be the, the person you want to be, you have to, you know, take time to pray and to be that kind of woman every mm-hmm. single day. Uh, for me, the consequences of not doing that are escaping in some really deadly things, but ultimately it's just, it's escaping. Mm-hmm. So other people, it looks different, but I know what kind of person I want to be and that I'm a lot happier when I'm not doing those things and I'm free. But yeah, it's not like, I remember when I was younger, I used to hear it's an everyday thing and it like used to kind of frighten me. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so different. I have to do these things every single day, but really like, it's not hard. It's, mm-hmm. it's not bad. 
Yeah. You know, everybody it's has like something we, to yeah. do every day. We all need guardrails that yeah. keep us in line with. Yeah. The, the cool thing is that I sort of don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to be free or I'm incredibly enslaved. So that makes the choice to be free and happy mm-hmm. a lot easier. So Victoria Ray, the word relevate means to uplift or inspire. Yes. In closing, what words uh, of encouragement would, would you give to other people who may have walked the path that you've walked? Well, I would say, I, I almost want to say like, come on over, like, let's go, let's do this. It's fun, you know, but um, I, I thought about this for a long time and I wanted to share something that has been kind of incredibly helpful for me and just in, in my walk. Mm-hmm. And it's a question that I ask myself and I'm trying to make decisions and trying to live um, the way that I want to. And it's um, what's the most loving thing? So when I'm trying to decide what I'm going to do next, or if I'm trying to be, if I'm with a, a person, mm-hmm. um, that person is the person that God put in front of me to love. So what is the most loving thing, but to be really engaged with them. And I just want to encourage whoever's listening mm-hmm. to that, that to ask themselves that, you know, when you're making decisions, it's an incredibly useful, um, filter. Yeah. Like it's my compass. I'll, I give you my compass. <laughs> there you go. That is amazing. And I love your name means victory. Yeah. Because you're walking in victory right now. And I'm just, I'm so thankful to have this time with you and to get to know you better. And I know your story is going to inspire others. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Keep at it, girl. So that's Recover Girl Victoria Ray's story. As God had to remind her when she was still struggling, he said, your name means victory. She now has a victory tattoo on her wrist, so she never forgets it. So what does your name mean? And what is God calling you to do to live in the true purpose of your life calling? I say we take a note from Victoria's playbook and choose to live in victory. I'm Rena Olson, and this is Relevate.